0: mind, uh, please stand for the reading of the word. I'm sorry we keep making you stand. We're getting those knee joints working. All right, Our scripture today is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says this, starting in verse 1. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, And encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will not listen, or no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for, for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news, and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it never returns void. That, Lord, that even now as we read the scriptures, God, it is doing something in our hearts. God, would we be open to what you're doing? Would we, would we be willing to submit to your leading? God, would your spirit encourage us, uh, convict us, correct us, rebuke us this morning, so we be, may be more and more like Jesus? We thank you for all you're doing. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Got this out of order real quick. All right. So how many people here— Listen to sermons for fun. Just me? Okay. Oh, a few of it. Okay, good, good. I'm not, not, just not me. Okay. Uh, In college, my, one of my professors told us when we were intro to preaching class, he said, I just want to tell you guys something real quick. Your sermon may be the highlight of your week, but it isn't necessarily anyone else's. (laughs) So it's a very good, like, starting baseline to know. Uh, but sermons are an interesting thing, right? Like, how many other places outside of school do we sit and listen to someone talk for 30 to 40 minutes? And, and the, re- the reality is that a lot of places don't use monologues anymore because, to be fair, monologues aren't really an effective form of communication. They require the listener to hold a lot of attention and questions and objections to themselves, allowing us to become distracted or disinterested or disoriented. Um, And if the speaker speaks too fast, like I sometimes do, it can be distracting. Again, there's a million different things that can go wrong in a monologue. Still, churches over the past 2,000 years, all over the world, weekly, have a sermon. Why do we do that? Why do churches do this if if this form of communication is largely falling out of favor? Falling out of favor. There we go. Let me explain. Today, I'm continuing our series called Let Me Explain. And in this series, we've looked at things that churches do that don't necessarily make sense to the world around us. We've looked at seven different topics so far, or seven counting today, that really just don't make sense in the world that we live in. A lot of the things that churches do just don't make sense if you don't go to church, and we recognize that. And so we've devoted this last month and a half to explaining these things, so that even if you've grown up in church, and maybe you're used to these things, you at least have a reason to explain why we do what we do the way that we do it. And so far, we've covered why we attend church, why we read the Bible, why we become members, why we take communion, why we're baptized, why we sing, and last week we even talked about why we give. If you have missed any of these weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. If you have any questions about them, we'd love to talk to you about it, but hopefully we answered most of it in the sermons. And I think it's been a very helpful series because, again, I grew up in church, well, mostly, and I still didn't know why we did some of the things that we did. And so it's been very helpful for me and for others just to figure out the, the meaning behind, the, the why behind the what. But today we'll be covering the topic of why we listen to sermons. And so this is kind of—this whole series has come out of Acts chapter 2, which has been our theme verse, and so I'm going to read that right now. our th- theme verses, I should say. It says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had— They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so last week, if you were here this last week, here's a quick pop quiz. What were the four points that I gave last week? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? right? How many people remember two weeks ago when Pastor David—well, my wife remembers. Thank you, honey. Um, I appreciate it, really. Um, Pastor David preached two weeks ago. How many remember his points? If you remember his and not mine, I may be a little hurt, but that's okay. But, but the point that I'm getting at is, like, sermons seem to be ineffective. Why do we do this every week if it doesn't seem to stick? And, and let's be honest, is if it's based on our ability to be clever or great communicators, it's not really going to work, because each week we hear lots of news and information, right? Still, God uses what is called the foolishness of preaching to accomplish his wise will. And that's how God works. So, So why do we do this? Well, let me explain. First, we want to go back to the historical. And I know that you're like, Jeff is going to go a long time. This time it's the shortest history section I've done, so bear with me. But, but the reason why we, ha- we build our services the way we do actually goes back to before Jesus was born. Before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the, the people would go to the temple for all kinds of things, right? There's all kinds of festivals and ceremonies, things they were supposed to remember. But a good Jew maybe went to the temple once a year. Once a year. Why do we require weekly, right? But... But but the reason why is because we base our services off the synagogue model. And synagogues were started because lots of people were spread out and we could never get to the temple. They could never go and and, and hear from rabbis weekly, so they started a a synagogue model that would have services that were very similar to ours. They would have people who would sing, and then they would have prayer, and then they have reading of the scriptures, and then someone would go up there and explain what those scriptures meant— and this should sound an awful like the services we do today because that's what we built it off of the early church built their model of worship around the synagogue structures in, in James which is the earliest book written in the New Testament the earliest historic, historically He calls the meeting of the church a synagogue or a gathering and it makes sense, right? The order of the wor- of the worship of a very Jewish Jesus would follow a very Jewish practice and so the reading of scriptures and the explanation goes all the way back through the history of the church and has even been practiced before the birth of Jesus. But in the New Testament, we see a few sermons, right? Most of them are uh, what we would call evangelistic, that they're from, one, from a Christian to those who don't follow Jesus. But in the book, we do see one sermon recorded, which is the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, of why it seems so different than all the other New Testament books, is because it was actually a sermon preached that was then written down. And so if you think my sermons are confusing, go read that book. I'm way more understandable, I think. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I hope. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. But, but throughout church history, there's been a lot of variables in preaching. In the 4th and 5th century, when Augustine was a pastor, he would preach sermons that were between 15 minutes long and multiple hours. I promise not to do that today. But, but the reason—one time, it was so crazy. He, he, he had, there's this festival going on outside of his church, and so he said, I'm not going to stop preaching until the festival is over, and I will not do that with your lunch. Don't worry. Um, anyways, I make a lot of bad jokes. Bear with me. You don't have to laugh at them, but I keep going. <laughs> Thank you. But still, the main practice of the church throughout history has been weekly on the Lord's Day or Sunday. As we gather around the, the, the resurrection of Jesus— we would proclaim the scriptures to each other. So, but why do we listen to sermons today? Well, let me explain by going back to 2 Timothy 4. And there are three main reasons I see in 2 Timothy 4 for why we listen to sermons. It's this. We listen to be informed, we listen to be inspired, and we listen to be transformed. We listen for information, for inspiration, and for transformation. First, we listen to be informed. Look again at verses 3 through 5. It says this. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. So when Paul is writing this letter, this is probably the last letter he ever wrote. It's at least the last letter that we have. And he's writing this letter to Timothy. Well, who's Timothy? Timothy was like a son in the faith to Paul. You see, Paul didn't have any kids because either he never got married or his wife left him when he came to following Jesus. And, and so he never has kids. But somewhere along the way, he, he encounters Timothy, and Timothy, whose dad left him at a very early age, was raised by his mom and his grandmother. And so there's this perfect pairing that God puts together between Paul and Timothy. It's, it's kind of like the first father-son relationship in the Bible that we see where someone passes on their faith. And so Paul is sending this letter to Timothy right before he dies to remind Timothy of all the things he had taught him, to give him one final charge, one final remember, uh, ability to remember, and to emphasize what Timothy needed to do. That one day in Timothy's life, there would come a time when people didn't want to listen to good teaching anymore. You see, I think a lot of us, when we interpret this verse, we tend to interpret it as someday in the future, right? We think Paul's writing to our day. You say, oh, yeah, one day in the far future. No, Paul was saying that this is a reality always, that there are always people who, who will come in and, and teach false truth, that there will always be people who want to preach a false gospel, a false good news that twists the scriptures, that twists who Jesus is. And so Paul is saying that preaching needs to contain good information because there's a lot of misinformation around. And so the same is true today, is that we as preachers, those who, sh- who share sermons, who speak— we are called to inform, right? We're called to teach. We're, to, we're called to the hard work of learning and digging into the scriptures, of getting the context down, of knowing the word meanings, to be able to share with you what we've learned week after week. There's been some debate over whether or not teaching is the prim- primary goal of preaching, but what is not up for debate is whether teaching is a part of it. Teaching is for sure a part of preaching. Paul gave a long list of, of qualifications for what it means to be a pastor, And one of the very first things he says is able to teach. All the other characteristics are about character. Only this one is about capability. And so Paul is saying that a preacher should be able to teach, and they should teach in their sermons. And the importance isn't for some test down at the pearly gates where Jesus and Peter are waiting, right? Like there's not some theology test at the end of the road. That's not what's going on. No, the reason why people need good teaching is because learning about God is key to knowing him. Yes, you can learn about God and not know Him. You can study all the theology you want, and it will never make sure that you will follow Jesus. But you cannot know God without knowing about Him. You cannot know God without learning about Him. You cannot know God if you don't seek good teaching. You cannot know Him better, at least. We need people to teach us. We can't ever be satisfied with our knowledge about what God is like and what He has done. We always need to be pressing on to learn more about Jesus. So we listen to sermons to better know what God is like, what he has done and said, and therefore we are better able to know him. Karl Barth was a 20th century theologian. He said there are three primary ways— I like to do threes, I don't know why— there are three primary ways that we learn and gain information. He says we gain correct knowledge of God through, first and foremost, the living word, Jesus. That Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And then we learn about God through the written word, which is the Bible. But then we also learn about God through the proclaimed word, which is preaching. And why is that? Well, we'll get to that later. But, but the, the proclaimed word, at least, at the very least, it's informal. It, it, not informal. It, it informs us. It's informational. It teaches us. We need to regularly grow in our understanding, which is why we have sermons. But again, just learning more information isn't enough. Just because there's information in the sermon doesn't make it a good sermon. We must have the other parts as well, which is why we listen to sermons to be informed, but we also listen to be inspired. Look again at verse three. It says this, or sorry, verse two. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Do you like to listen to uh, sad music when you're sad? Anyone else do that? No? Yeah, okay, good, thank you. need to stop asking these questions. I just keep running into a wall. Um, I think there are a lot of people who do. Maybe you're not one of them, but it can help some of us, right? But the reality is that for those of us who maybe are negative in our thinking, listening to sad music all the time is actually worse for us. Studies show that those who are depressed or those who face consistent negative thoughts against themselves, the inner critic, that when they listen to sad or angry music, it actually doubles down on the problem. And and the reality is, is that there are some people who listen to sermons the same way. There are some of us who are very easily convicted, and so we like to listen to preachers who make us feel more convicted. We like to listen to preachers who will continually point out the sin in our life, as if all God wanted was you to feel bad. But that's not what it's about. Should sermons point out our sin? Yes. But never without pointing us to our Savior. The goal isn't to convict people, but to point people to the forgiveness of Jesus. Do we need to be made aware of where we're not perfect? Absolutely, but conviction is not the goal. Conviction is only a good thing when it leads to greater reliance upon and gratefulness for the grace of God. Sermons should be aimed at inspiring people out of sin and into holiness, out of brokenness and into wholeness. That is why Paul doesn't stop at rebuke, and correct, but goes on to say encourage. It needs to go beyond that. Should sermons skip over the difficult parts of Scripture? Absolutely not. But should it always move us from what we have done to what Christ has done? Absolutely. Because Christ has done enough to save us and call us to be like him. This past week, I was talking to my cousin, and he was a part of a, um, of a denomination that was having this convention this last week in Anaheim. But as we were talking, we were talking about how there's such a divide between God's holiness and God's love. That often in preaching, people emphasize one or the other, or one in the, with the exception of the other. But the reality is, is God's justice is only a part of his love. Otherwise, there's no way to understand it. That Jesus' love for us helps us to make sense of God's holiness. That, that when we talk about sin, it's only to eventually get to our Savior. That when we talk about what Jesus has done, how he's died for our sin, it's so that we can see how good he is. Because sermons should not leave us to think that we have, we have not done enough, but it should remind us what Jesus has done that is enough. That we are not the summary of our past mistakes, but we are what God says about us. That as followers of Jesus, we are chosen, we are loved, we are forgiven, we are freed, we are His. That what God says about His children is even more true than our own thoughts about ourselves. Because sermons should remind us of the truth, yes, but inspire us to be the people that God is calling us to be. So we listen to be sermons to be informed. We listen to be inspired, and we listen to be transformed. Look again at verse 2 with me. It says this, Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. In verse 5, But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. One of the most important verses that we focus on in this church is in Isaiah 55, verse 11. It says this, It is the same with my word. Sorry, this is God speaking. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Sermons that focus on the scriptures will always accomplish God's goal. Sermons that are focused on getting into the text will always do what God wants it to do, because God will use it not because the preacher is good enough, but because God is so good. I remember when I was going to college uh, to study the Bible, that after three short semesters, I knew more than all the chapel speakers. And if that isn't a ringing endorsement for my program, I don't know what is. But but the reality is I moved from listening to sermons to get something out of them to judging them. In In my mind, I'd become the arbiter over whether a sermon was good or not. I now was a judge of whether a sermon accomplished what it was meant to do. And maybe I'm alone in this, but, but I began to ask what, whether the sermon was good and not what did I get. When I was critical, I was unable to be changed or challenged by what God was saying. A well-known pastor, and I'll, I'll save his name for the rest of the quote, but he's, he was asked after preaching at a chapel, and he was speaking to a group of seminary students, and the seminary student said, Pastor, what if the person you're listening to just doesn't know what they're talking about? What if they're up there and they're just going for it? And they're just going for it and going for it. What what do I do? And the pastor said this, if the Bible is opened and read and explained, I think a follower of Jesus should be so desperate to hear from Jesus that they will seek out one or two or maybe three things that God is saying through them that the Spirit of God is so powerful that even the wrong mouth can accomplish the right message. After all, God has spoken through the mouth of a donkey once. And we'll let you fill out the rest of that quote. Okay, um, but we often think that the goal of listening to sermons when we are followers of Jesus is to see if they're good, but we should be so desperate to hear from Jesus. So long as the Bible is opened and explained that we are able to listen and learn from anyone, we don't need to agree with everything or every that someone believes or says for them to speak to us by God's Spirit. That's the beauty of the transforming nature of the Bible. Paul says that Timothy is to rebuke and correct with good teaching, so God will judge the preacher over whether their sermon was good or not. Just ask yourself, what is God saying to me? Let us as listeners be ready to hear from God. And I think we will often find that at least one thing that God is calling us to better love and follow Christ. Because the reality is that the Spirit transformed us through the preaching of the Word. In Romans chapter 10, and I don't have it in my notes, I'm sorry, so it's not going to be on the screen, but it says this in Romans 10, starting in verse 14. How can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message. But here's the important part. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news of Christ. That hearing, that in the hearing of the sermon, in the hearing of the preaching, we are given faith by God. And that faith accomplishes what God wants it to. That through the Spirit of God, the Word of God accomplishes the will of God let me say that again. Through the Spirit of God, the Word of God accomplishes the will of God. That God transforms us through the preaching of the Word. That God transforms us. That's why Bart said that there are three ways that we learn about God. Through Jesus, through the Bible, and through preaching. Because the preaching is empowered by the Spirit. It's not the preacher who has the power. I have no authority on my own to say anything to you. It's all borrowed authority from God's Spirit. So why do we listen to sermons? Let me explain. We listen to be informed we listen to be inspired, and we listen to be transformed. But why do we do it the way we do it here at Community Life? Well, here are just a couple of things that we encourage or we focus on as a church. We listen to sermons while taking notes. We listen to sermons with prayerful preparation. We listen to sermons with charitable listening and with focus on Jesus. So why do we encourage taking notes? Because the, the mind remembers more when we write it down. I know that my natural speaking speed is faster than the average person. It's not just because I'm nervous. I just speak fast. That's just how I am. It's even, even at normal rate of speech, we forget more if we don't write it down. I can't tell you how many times I've told Brooke, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I don't write it down, and then I don't do it. And thankfully, she's very gracious. Um, but, but still, in order for us to remember the information we need, it's very helpful to, to write the notes down, even if we never look at the notes again even if we never look at them again, it's helpful to write notes. Second, we listen to sermons with prayerful preparation. And earlier I said something about how monologues are not helpful. The reason why monologues aren't helpful is because there's, there's this, not this dialogue going on. But, but as a pastor, I try my best to anticipate your objections or questions in my preparation. And, and so th- there's this dialogue going on that I'm trying to anticipate what you may ask and what you may object with, and then respond to it. And that's why I ask a lot of questions back to myself, I think. But it's also a dialogue between the listener and God's Spirit. The Bible was inspired by God's Spirit, and is applied by that same Spirit. So we should prayerfully prepare our hearts to hear sermons. My father-in-law, every Saturday night, um, he prays for the churches in our, in in his area. But he, he would also do something that was really special to me. When Brooke and I were dating, we would go and we'd uh, before we'd go to ice cream, we'd, we'd sit with them and they'd pray after dinner. And they'd be praying for all the church, but he also pray that God would prepare his heart. That God would prepare his heart to hear from the Lord. And, and it's this amazing practice that every Saturday night that, that he would pray for, for the sermon to impact himself. And, and, and the reality is, is that if we don't come prepared, we often miss what God's trying to say. That if we're not, if we're, if we're honest, there are a million things going through your mind right now about your life that has nothing to do with what I'm saying if we're honest. And, and even if I were to, were, were to know everything going on in your life, if I preach a sermon, it may not be the thing that you need to hear. But the reality is, is that God's Spirit knows exactly what you need to hear. The question is, are you ready to hear from Him? And so in the weekly rhythm of praying week after week after week, you're actually anticipating hearing from God. You're anticipating hearing from what God wants to say to you. So a prayerful preparation is so helpful. Third, we listen to sermons charitably, charitably, or, or with grace. Each week, there are many hours put into sermon prep. Many hours. And each week is the normal practice of the, of the, of the pastors of this church to script out most of what we're saying. It's not because we're not genuine. We just love precision. We want to be pre- precise. Still, because no one is perfect, we may some, say something slightly wrong. And it's a good practice to be charitable to everyone, But but let me back up for a second. If I say something that contradicts the Scriptures, you're right to correct me, okay? Please do, if you need to, stand up. But you should believe the Bible over me every time. But oftentimes, I might misspeak. I might say something slightly off. My point was clear, but my words were misspoken. There's a group of people in the Bible called the Bereans, and they were a group of Jews who searched the Scriptures after Paul shared the good news with them. They wanted to make sure that what Paul was saying was consistent with the faith that they'd been handed and that's a good habit today, to search the scriptures. Is what Jeff's saying, is it true? Is it, does it meet up with the scriptures? But there's a big difference between being a, a Berean and being a critic. There's a big difference between listening carefully and listening critically. Amen. And the question is, are we going to be critics or are we going to be careful? Remember, if we're judging if a sermon is good or not, we're not able to listen to what God's trying to say to us. And finally, we listen to sermons because they focus on Jesus. Jesus is what God is like. For that reason, every one of our sermons points to him. So we, each week, regardless of the text, the preacher, the holiday, or any other factor, the news, we will remain faithful to the good news we have received and proclaim again. That Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures. And on the third day, he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. Sermons aren't merely good advice or principles for living. The world needs more good people. That's true. But Christian sermons always go further to being proclamations of the good news of Jesus. What the world needs more than good people are people who are about the gospel. What the world needs more than good people are people who are saved by Jesus and transformed by him. He is both why and what we preach. Jesus is the— If a sermon doesn't get to Jesus, it's almost worthless. Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor in the 20th century, he said it this way, He said, no Jesus in your sermon, son? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching about. And that's the reality, is if a sermon doesn't get to Jesus, it's just a good speech. As we close, why do we listen to sermons? Let me explain. We listen to sermons to be informed, to be inspired, and to be transformed. We do that here by taking notes, prayerfully preparing, charitably engaging, and expecting to hear more about the glory and goodness of Jesus. This is why we do what we do the way we do it. Sermons aren't supposed to be just about good, good advice or good principles. It's about the good news. And this is why we do what we do the way we do it. And I hope each week as you come, you find that this is true, that this isn't the exception, but each week that we want to focus in on the good news of what Jesus has done so we can be informed, so we can be inspired to greater faithfulness to Jesus, so we can be transformed by his Holy Spirit. In a moment, I'm going to pray, so you can be ready to pray, prepare, bow your heads. I, I don't know what you need to hear this morning. The Spirit does. I just, in this next moment, I'm just going to encourage you to just ask, God, what do you want me, what are you trying to say to me today? And even if you would make this a weekly practice, whether on Saturday night or Sunday after the sermon, God, what are you speaking to me? That it would be the regular practice of us as a church to ask, God, what are you saying? Because God is speaking. Are we listening? Father, we thank you that you didn't stop speaking just because the scriptures were closed. Just because the book of Revelation is ended doesn't mean you're done speaking to us. That God, that by your Spirit and by your servant, you continue to speak today. God, not that the preachers are perfect, not that the pastors are perfect, but that your spirit is perfect in accomplishing your will. God, we thank you for the regular foolishness of preaching that doesn't make sense apart from your spirit, that doesn't make sense apart from you working. And God, I just pray that we as a church would would remember that each week as we engage, as we listen, as we have someone speak to us, as the scriptures are open, we would ask, what are you saying to me today, God? God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to know? What do you you want me to believe? How do you want me to change? That God, no one would walk away thinking, feeling guilty or being convicted for the sake of conviction, but God, that each of us would walk away each week more aware of how amazing you are and how much you love us. Lord, because it's not the words of a preacher. It's not even the words on a page that, ch- page that change hearts. No, it's only Jesus. So this morning, God, we, we thank you for the fact that you continue to show up. You continue to move. You continue to work. And we thank you for the foolishness of preaching and the good, good news of Jesus. Lord, would you bless us and cause us to be more like you? Praise pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.